I'm so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in a few minutes, you have not flown lately. You may be in for a shock. How close you get to be to your neighbors on the plane. I got some interesting info for you in today's Clark Rageous Moment. And coming up later, there's a piece of office equipment that people coming to work for you don't know how to use, and it will surprise you what that is and whether you should still have it at your place of work. Speaking of work, I want to talk about something that is a real serious problem in the U.S., and that is that a lot of people who go and get a college degree are able to find work much more easily than people who don't have a college degree on average. In fact, through the last 10 years, the unemployment rate among people with a college degree versus people without one, it was night and day. But a huge percent of people with college degrees are what economists refer to as underemployed. That what you're doing for work has nothing to do with having gone to college. That you could have done the same work you're doing coming straight out of high school. And then so many people who don't go off to college have trouble finding work because employers and many jobs say, oh, well, we only hire college graduates. So what's broken in the U.S. is we're treating education as, I heard one economist refer to it, as a credential instead of treating education as training for specific skills and specific jobs. I've had such a fascination with how South Carolina, influenced so heavily by large numbers of German companies that have located around the Greenville, South Carolina area, it's uh, Interstate 85 is often referred to as the Audubon in that part of South Carolina because there are so many German employers and they have brought a change to the education culture in the state of South Carolina that technical colleges, state-supported, provide training in things that employers specifically say they need. Now, that should not be a shocking concept. Train people in what the work that's available calls for. And the idea in Germany is people do apprenticeships and they do uh, trade school so that they get the skills for the specific high skill job that they're going for. And we were talking about this in one of our show meetings, how the junior and senior year of high school in so much of America has become 
a time for too much idle time. And a lot of teens get in trouble during that time because it seems to have, particularly senior year, has a lot of treading water. So I told you about something, gosh, must be two years ago now, that's a program that IBM was the inspirational force behind that people do in their junior and senior year also an associate's degree program typically at a a trade school or a community college where they learn a specific skill and when they graduate from high school they have not only the high school education but they also have a specific marketable skill that the marketplace is looking for. I think we really need to think in this country how we can improve the lot of people in their lives. And this is one of the areas where we can really make a difference. The greatest difference, of course, flows to people who are not of a mind that college is what they want to be. A lot of people feel uh, pressure to go to college, they go to college, they drop out and end up with student loans that don't drop out when they drop out. So having a re-emphasis, not everything in life and certainly with education is about work, but for many people being able to earn a decent living is what we should really be about. Jill joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jill? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Clark. How are you today? Good, but you had an experience recently (laughs) that made your wallet weep. It sure did. I had my own personal Jill Rageous um, experience. Oh, I like that. The Jill Rageous (laughs) moment. Yes. I wish we had some kind of sounder for the Jill Rageous moment. There you go. There you go. So, um... Yep, my 13-year-old daughter, well, 12 at the time, wanted to go to a big concert for her 13th birthday. And uh, we said, super, that sounds like a great, great idea. One of us will take you to this concert. And so she was sure it would sell out. So the minute the tickets went for sale, we were all on our devices, waiting in line um, to get these tickets. And ended up paying over $300 a piece. Yeah. uh, Exactly. And I looked at my husband and we both knew we were being swindled, but we couldn't figure out any other way to get these tickets. Swindled by a 12-year-old's enthusiasm. Exactly. Exactly. We looked at her little face and said, I guess we're going. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. So at the concert, I um, talked to the folks next to me and said it. Would you mind telling me how much you paid for your ticket? What, do you hate yourself that you asked that question? Oh, Oh, well, you know, I think I've been listening to you long enough to not be too shy about the financial questions. (laughs) Yeah, but the answer they would have given is one I wouldn't have wanted to know. Absolutely, absolutely. They paid $60 a piece for their tickets. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so I said that that's the bad news. The good news is if we can figure out how to buy tickets like they bought tickets, then we can go to concerts in the future um, without declaring bankruptcy. So so what's the secret? All right. So what's happening with the concert business is 
the concert business is having trouble selling out arenas and venues. And it has become a real problem in the business that houses are not selling out. You're going to have some acts that will sell really well. But Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember, who is it who's now appearing in Vegas? There's a singer in Vegas. I hate to name somebody. It may have been Britney Spears, somebody who's having a lot of trouble selling tickets right now. And that's that's a historically marquee name. Mm-hmm. And the, right. the, the business right. has changed. And so when you just got to, got to, got to make sure you're going to be at, at a concert, mm-hmm. you're absolutely mm-hmm. going to pay too much money. Yeah. If you wait okay. and you look like at StubHub, I'll tell you a story. Uh-huh. I'm a huge NFL fan. Mm-hmm. And I was out of town and I was thinking about going to see a game and I went on StubHub the day before the game, and the seats had dropped into the range of about $35 a seat. And they cost a lot more for the season ticket holders or for yeah, somebody buying yeah. tickets third party. So I was thinking, I don't really want to spend 35 So I wait till the morning of the game, and mm. the kickoff was at 105 and I'm watching the tickets, and they dropped down to $16. Wow. And so the thing with any sports event or concert now is because of what's known as the soft sellout phenomenon, even an event that sells out, there are soft sellouts because there's so much going on in our lives, so many things, people's plans change, that if you'll wait and play hard to get, that's how you get the best deal. Okay. Okay, well... I can be pretty good at playing hard to get, so especially where my wallet's concerned. And I don't so. know if you've ever heard me talk about In We Go. No. In We Go is in about a half dozen cities in the country, and it's a clearance site for various um, entertainment events, concert events, sports events, and you pay a monthly fee that I think is around 30 bucks. And then you get to go to whatever events pop up a day or two before the events. You go for free. Oh, nice. So for someone who likes going out and wants to know that all it's going to cost them is that $30 a month, as many events as they go or as few as they go, it's Mm -hmm. an alternative for people. So the key is with anything is not to be i gotta 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 see this do this and that's how you save the money right and not be pressured into we have to do it right now well i mean think of the point of weakness it was your then 12 year old about to turn 13 year old who wanted to see this so badly so you paid that money because you didn't want her to miss that experience she'd treasure so much so you were doing what a parent's heart would guide you to do. Um, once the eye roll starts, though, during your teenage years, you'll say, why did we do that? Nan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nan. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Nan. Good. Hey, I followed your advice about freezing my credit reports to all three agencies, and I've done that now. It's been frozen for the past two or three years, I think it is. And uh, received a letter in the mail from a um, 
an online uh, vendor that had said that I was trying to open an account at their location and that uh, because I had a frozen credit, that it did not go through. So that means that... Okay, so wait, stop right there for a second. Stop right there for a second. Think how great it is that your credit was frozen. Exactly. Because if it hadn't been, they would have maybe been successful impersonating you and opening that account as if they're you. Yes. So we're just the way, just perfectly, really. But I'm wondering now that I'm, as I know I, I did not try opening the account, and I'm wondering if there's anything else I should be doing, trying to make sure I'm covered any other way. No, I mean, the system worked as it's supposed to. And what you do know is somebody's out there trying to pretend they're you. Mm-hmm. They may have a lot of your personal information. You know, it could have been from the massive Equifax data breach, who knows where or what, but they would have had enough information to try to open that account. So you know somebody's out there prospecting as if they're you. So do you have set up with Credit Sesame or Credit Karma monitoring what's going on with your identity? No. So this puts you in a bit of a risk for a few minutes, but... You have to thaw your credit file for Credit Karma. I'm trying to remember who you'd have to do it with Credit Sesame, but Credit Karma, you'd have to thaw your, um, was it Equifax and TransUnion? Okay. I think those are the two they do. And, or is it Experian? And Joel's looking right now. So you'd have to thaw them, set up the, the Credit Karma dashboard, and then immediately refreeze them. And that way, if anybody does attempt something, you'd know immediately because they offer as one of the services they offer is free credit monitoring. Ah, okay. So it's TransUnion and Equifax. I had it right. I shouldn't have doubted myself. It was right in the first place. (laughs) Is there any risk with having information at Credit Karma or Credit Sesame? Can they get breached also? Well, I guess that's possible. Nothing like that has happened to this point. And you can't insure against every last possibility, Mm, but I think it's worth it for all the things you get. And besides, if your credit's frozen, the risk level to you doing that is negligible, just like what happened with this, that in your case, knock on wood, the system worked, and let's hope it keeps working for you to protect you from this active identity thief in your midst. Okay, I got the funniest, craziest story to tell you. My son and I, my son's fascinated with any form of transportation, and we went to an uh, airplane museum, and they had an old airplane there, and you could sit in the seats on that old airplane. It was a, uh, was a 767, I think. Anyway, we're sitting on in the seats, and my son's like, so what is this, Dad? Is this some kind of premium economy? I was laughing because it was what coach was like 15 years ago with the legroom you had and how wide the seat was and all that. And so what airlines have been doing is they've been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking the space in coach. And American and United are taking planes that had nine seats across. They were already tight, putting a 10th seat and cramming people in so you can fit in them if you're like four feet six and weigh 80 pounds. Other than that, they're miserable. 
So now what they're doing is they're selling you an upgrade to what was old coach. But ironically enough, an analysis by the New York Times, typically you pay three times the fare to upgrade to premium economy from regular economy. So know that it is an option out there. It's very expensive. But if you want a more comfortable flight, listen to Consumer Reports. Fly JetBlue or Southwest for bigger seats and more legroom. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Question, are you ripping yourself off? Do you still have a home phone? number of people who still have a home phone, depending on where you are in the country, is somewhere around one-third of people still have a home phone to maybe 45%, depending on where you are. But it's becoming an antique. And we had, we have an UMA phone line in our house, which is a substitute home phone service. And I realize we pay like nothing for it, but I realize no one ever uses it. No one ever uses it. We only use our cell phones. And that's true for most people. So for our digital operation for Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, I don't have any office phones at all. None. Everything we do is either on a computer or on a phone. We do um, Slack. If you're familiar with Slack, that's a much more efficient way for businesses to communicate among themselves. We do video chats. We do uh, phone calls on the cell phones, texting, messaging of all different kinds. And the something really cute, in the studio here, there's this phone next to me. This phone has on it, uh, let's see, 24, 36, 40, 44, 47, 50, 52 buttons. I cannot figure out, I've tried, I cannot make a phone call on this phone. I don't know how to do it. And (laughs) it turns out that I'm not alone. And you look, the younger somebody is, the least likely they are ever going to be able to use an office phone. So if you at your business are paying to have a phone on everybody's desk, walk around and think through and see, is anybody actually using them? Or are you just throwing money out the door, out the window? And think about it. When you have overhead in a business, every single dollar you spend on overhead for something that turns out to not be needed is one less net profit dollar you have in that business. So I don't know. I mean, there. I'm sure there are office situations 
where somebody still needs a phone at their desk, but most of the time, no. And the money you're spending, you're wasting. And if you do have a need to put phones on people's desks, look at the really inexpensive phones that are available now that are uh, internet-based phones, like UMA has the UMA for Business. There are lots of them like that that are so, so, so much cheaper than having any phone system from the hideously outdated monopoly local phone companies. Stop wasting money. And as for your home phone, if you still have one, think through when's the last time you used it. If you think, oh, I use it every day, all the time, keep it. Otherwise, stop wasting that money. Ronnie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ronnie. Hey, Clark. How are you? I'm doing fine. So, Ronnie, you uh, you apparently did really well last year investing on um, on the market. Is that right? Well, I've been playing with it uh, just a little bit. It, this was an online investment app that you had uh, recommended. And oh, are you I using Robinhood? Uh, yes, it is Robinhood. And how have you found their platform to be? Has it been easy to use? Absolutely. Uh, I, I can't tell you the ease of use for it. I, I simply, a few times a day, I'll when I take a break, I'll get online and just check it really quick on the app on my phone. And I, I can just simply buy and sell so easily. I mean, one share or 100 shares, it doesn't really matter. It's just very simple. And it always says there's there's no fees for commission. You know, the commission fees on there, it always says zero. Um, so my, my question is, is this is going to be the first time I will ever have showed a profit. And as of today, I'm still showing $900 more than the money I've actually put in out of my bank account. And uh, I've never had any kind of a profit before. So I'm wondering, what is that going to do at the end of the year when I file taxes? Okay, so let me tell you what happens with investing. When you invest and hold a stock for a year, you pay a really low tax rate known as capital gains. If you own a stock for shorter you pay on the gain just as if it was more money in your paycheck. So it's known as ordinary income tax. So the tax rate's much higher when you buy and sell frequently than if you buy and hold and you're holding on to whatever you bought for that 12-month window. Okay, yeah, because most, the, the most I've actually held onto any stocks is, you know, a few months at a time. And, uh, I mean, I do have a few back that I, I make some dividends on and, and everything, but uh, a lot of them I've just been buying, you know, they're, I don't know if you would consider them penny stocks or what, but, you know, some of them that, that I, I've bought like several thousand shares of, of, of some that are like 20 cents a share and then turn around and sell them to like 25 cents a share and, you know, make make a little bit of money on that. And so then I just take that and I keep buying other stuff and then I'll sell it, you know, a day or two later, a week later sometimes. I got to tell so you I, what's I, funny. I'm smiling because you're making me shallow breathe. Because the way you're <laughs> investing is so different than, than my mindset. You know, I don't, well, I don't like know, individual I, I stocks. I do that. 
I used to do that with uh, with another investment uh, company, and uh, the there was always losses. It, it was always losses, and uh, I just after listening to your program many many times, and and hear you say the the online app that we mentioned earlier, um, I, I went ahead and tried it one day, and I I just put a little bit of money over into it, and. And I was like, wow, I just made some money when I sold that. And then I just started building it up a little bit more at a time. So I'm not holding on to anything. I'm just I'm just having fun with it, playing with it. Well, keep having fun. I hope you're doing uh, – are you doing retirement investing elsewhere? Uh, I was, and I still do have um, investment with another company, but I haven't been putting anything more into it. Well, I would love it if you would consider that because the beauty, if you do, you probably have heard me talk about a Roth IRA. Yes. So if you do investing through a Roth and you can do stocks, you can do funds, you can do whatever you want, you don't have to worry about the taxes because everything that goes on is tax-free. So as you have gains, you don't pay any tax on them ever. Uh, now, how how does that exactly work, though? Does that like a, an age cap or something? Or no, no. As long as you're you have a job and you're making money at a job, you can do a Roth IRA and you can uh, put in up to six thousand dollars in a year. And now, even if you're self-employed, does that even uh, if you're self-employed, as long as you've got earned income, you can do a Roth. So the the thing that makes it so cool is what you're doing right now with Robinhood, you're doing a regular investment account. So you have to worry about, well, yeah, I'm having to pay ordinary income tax on my gains and all that, and i got to keep records of it and all that. If you're doing money in a Roth and using that where you're doing investing, then everything's tax-free. And you can have the money in there and grow over the years, and then you spend it down the road, you spend it tax-free. So as a first step, as a self-employed individual, doing the Roth is where I'd really like for you to look. And if you're not that familiar with it, I've got an explanation of it on Clark.com. You could also look at Investopedia.com and get an explanation about how a Roth works. And that would be more important to me than having an investment account that you're playing with. Just my opinion. Wes is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Wes. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Wes, you got a question for me about protecting your online self. Yes. What's the scoop? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I've been familiar for, uh, for quite a while with, um, the, the Chrome browser, uh, you know, would, um, ask if you would like it to save, you know, a password for, you know, for something that you're doing online. And, uh, and then, uh, over time, I've noticed that they, they added this feature where it looks as though uh, Google Chrome will uh, suggest uh, and actually create a password for you. Yeah, they're co- then, they've and, copied and, Dashlane and LastPass. And so Google is doing their own version where 
they will take care of establishing a crazy random password for you and you'll have a different one at every website you go to and just like with LastPass or, Fra- or Fastlane, Dashlane, Fastlane, LastPass and Dashlane, they, you have one master password with, with Chrome and then within that they handle the password management for you with every other site you choose to have them manage it for you for. Yeah, and, and so so what are what are your uh, feelings on that? I Do love you feel, it. I mean, I love it. So you think it's it's probably somewhat equivalent to to those other services that you had mentioned? Yeah. So with password managers, it's all in the execution. So we'll see over time how Chrome does, but LastPass and Dashlane have been great for people because. There's no way that we as human beings can effectively manage passwords and remember all of them for every single website we ever go to. It's just not humanly possible. Agreed. (laughs) And so that's why I love the password managers and Google as they do is they watch what people are doing with other things, then they turn around and come up with their own and... Um, as best I know, the the Chrome password manager is completely free. Yeah, I haven't seen anything about a fee or anything associated with it. So, uh, so you know, it, the it, difference uh, it looks the, great. Yeah, so the difference, the distinction is that with LastPass and Fastlane, they both operate on the freemium business model where you get basics for free, but if yeah. you want more robust stuff, you have to pay either monthly or annually for it. And so what Chrome has done is what they do, what Google's done is what they do to upset everybody else in technology. They've come along and said, hey, this is a great idea. Here it is for free. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's one of my favorite words. Isn't it? Yeah. So it, And I think it's a wonderful idea because anything you can do to make your online identity safer is a great idea for you protecting yourself and being able to have that for nothing. Wonderful. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for many people's favorite segment ever of the Clark Howard Show. It is Ask Clark. So you thought I was going to say Clark stinks? Nope. It's when Joel gets to ask questions, you post for me at Clark.com. All right, Clark. Dolly wrote in and says, my spouse just passed away. Am I oh, legal? Oh, Dolly, I'm very sorry. I'm sorry I was 
uh, being lighthearted going into your question. Sorry, yeah, I didn't notify you ahead of time, Clark, about these questions. Usually they're off the cuff, right? So Dolly's question is, in, in light of that, am I legally responsible for outstanding credit card debt that is in my spouse's name? Um, well, uh, first, again, I'm sorry about your loss. Second, uh, only in a handful of states would you have any liability for any debts that were your late husband's. And those are what are known as community property states. You'd probably know if you were in one. And Joel, if you'd give me the list so I can just give the community property states that we have in the country. But most everybody in the country, except for a handful, are in states where the debts of one remain the debts of that one at the time of passing. And so uh, the community property law states, two of the very biggest ones, California and Texas, and Louisiana, Arizona, Washington, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. And generally in, in a community property state, the assets of someone acquired during the marriage are considered to be community property. The debts acquired during marriage are considered to be community property. But before you would, if you live in one of those states, before you would say, ah, well, I am responsible for those debts, if uh, the debts are of a meaningful size, you should talk with a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts. It wouldn't cost a lot to have a phone call to ask this question to verify whether or not in your specific circumstance you would have responsibility or liability. All right, and Dick wrote in, Clark. He says, how much money can I give to my children tax-free each year? 15000 is the amount that you can give free of any consideration for gift tax. You're actually allowed to give whatever amount you want, but the answer to make it as simple as possible is the 15000 And if you have a kid who's married... You can give 15000 additional, if this is a good problem to have, if you've got a lot of money, you can also give 15000 to whoever they're married to. And if you're married, you can give another 15000 each. So you could effectively get 60000 to a couple each year, completely tax-free by writing four checks. All right, and Anthony wants to know, what's the name of that fast food restaurant that you went to nine times while you were in California? <laughs> not nine but it's a bit of exaggeration in and out burger in and out burger is my mothership it's a phenomenal place to get a hamburger there are people who don't get in and out or why i love it so much but i think they make a great burger and they have a secret menu you should check it out you're listening to the clark howard show Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.